Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 202. On today's show, we talk about shipwrecks, Vikings, and Nazis. <laughs> Let's dig a little deeper into those Nazis. Oh, no. Let's, let's dig a little deeper and not find things for Nazis. <laughs> I don't know. I just like saying Nazis. Nazis. Welcome to the show, everyone. Rachel, how's it going? Great. Uh, it's a early, early moving day for us. It's not like super early. Well, no, but we had to get up early to get everything ready to yes. go. And now our last task is to get our recording done. Yeah, we're waking up for the first time. Well, for the last time at our first stop in Arizona, really. And we're going to be in the Southwest for a while, but we love the high desert area. You know, I mean, Carolinas has like family and stuff, but man, even when it's cold in the Carolinas, it still feels a little humid. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, it, the air just feels different. It is. It's like heavier. Yeah. When yeah. you're here at, what are we at? We're at altitude. I don't know what altitude we're at because Siri's not going to show me. <laughs> when I was doing experiments yesterday for work with my Aero GNSS GPS device, it was like a thousand meters. So I don't know what that is in feet. That makes sense because I'm yeah. showing 3,225 okay. feet yeah. on my Apple Watch Ultra. Yeah, that's about right because I think it's like about three feet for a meter yeah. approximately. So yeah. yeah, that's about right. So yeah, while we're sitting here in the crisp air of the high desert, ready to move over to Lake Havasu City for an event we're going to, mm-hmm. which is a pretty cool little place if you've never been there. It's where the London Bridge is, which yeah. I feel like we should talk about that next week. Oh my gosh, we totally should. Yeah. Like a history of the London Bridge. That would be really fun. Yeah, because it's been torn down and replaced several times. And yeah. one of those times, a rich dude was like, let's put it in Arizona. Because <laughs> <laughs> why not? <laughs> All right. So yeah. speaking of things moving long distances. Right. Let's talk about shipwrecks. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a story that has been developing for the last couple years. But I came across it for the first time and I really like deep dove all the different articles about it that I could find. It's super interesting. So the title of this article, which is from the Smithsonian, we do tend to link to them a lot because they just do really good work. Yeah. But there's a couple links that we found to a couple different sources that are are pretty good. But the Smithsonian one is called Archaeologists Recover 275 Artifacts from Mysterious Arctic Shipwreck. And, you know, right when you open the article, first off, they've got this like geodesic tent over oh, yeah. <laughs> over this entire operation yeah. and it's clearly heated in there because yeah. I mean they're wearing jackets and hats and stuff right. but but they're in the Arctic and it, yeah. looks, it looks fine. They've got a floor on it. Yeah. They've cut a square hole in the ice yep. that's probably eight <laughs> feet by eight feet. Yeah. And they've got all their equipment and a crane to like drop stuff down in it there. It looks like a really, really intense oh my God. process to do this this sort of archaeology. So I want a home like this. <laughs> so they actually have a couple different methodologies they used in order to explore these shipwrecks and to recover artifacts from them. We'll, yeah. we'll cover that a little bit later in yeah. the segment. But the gist of it is that 
In May 1845, two ships under the command of Sir John Franklin set sail from England in search of the Northwest Passage, which is something that I think a lot of explorers were looking for at that time. And that would be the passage between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans that doesn't actually exist, not in the way that they wanted it to. Not by sea. Yeah, yeah. There's too much ice. Too much ice. In about 100 years, it might exist, but it doesn't now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they found out that it was too much ice because at some point during their quest, Franklin and his crew of 128 men mysteriously disappeared, never to be heard from again. Okay, now I pulled that directly from the Smithsonian article, and that is kind of some like dramatic Smithsonian you know, journalist writing right there because we do pretty much know exactly what happened to these guys and why they abandoned the ships and why the ships sank and all those things. There's a couple like mysterious things that they're still figuring out as they excavate, but we know basically the whole story. And part of the reason that we know a good chunk of the story is because there was a note left in a cairn and a cairn is like a stack of rocks that usually has a sort of hollow inside area that you could put things. Miners use them a lot for staking their claims. Yeah. Mining claims. Yeah. For mining claims. And in this case, it was a way for them to hopefully communicate because they knew they were in a bad position. So two officers write a note basically saying what happened. And that note was discovered in the 1850s. So like, you know, a decade or less after they disappeared. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a pretty good idea what happened. But basically they said that the ships were trapped in thick ice in September of 1846. Not surprising as (laughs) because it's, you know, the far Arctic north up there. And then Sir John Franklin, the leader, he died the following summer. And the surviving members of the expedition, they abandoned the ships in April 1848, and they set out to find the Back River, which was what they were hoping would lead them out of this Arctic, you know, frozen tundra. So they hung out with these ships for like two years? They did. I think they were just hoping that the the ice would break enough that they could get through. I mean, what else are you going to do, right? Like, you're looking at a frozen white wasteland around you. And at least you have a ship that can keep you warm. But I think they were like starting to run out of supplies at a certain point and they just reached a like a decision point when they couldn't get the ships free. Yeah. You can only eat so much seal and like polar bear. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't even know if they were doing that. They, they had they, to have been. They must. Yeah. They must have yeah. been for like two years. That yeah. was, I've, I've read other Arctic stories too. And, yeah. and they, one of their things that they would rely on because they can't, you can't carry the supplies for years and years and years. You can yeah. carry probably enough like salt and some other yeah. stuff like condiments and not condiments like uh, staples. Like yeah. The some staples, staples like that, that. Yeah. But like meat and stuff, it's not like you just can't carry enough yeah. for all those people for that amount of time. So they definitely relied on hunting yeah. and fishing. Yeah, probably fishing a lot, for sure, yeah. Well, as you can imagine, none of the 128 men survived, although skeletal remains of some of them have been recovered on the islands that were their escape route. So There weren't any, like, teeth marks on those skeletons, were there? (laughs) They did not mention that in this article. (laughs) Hope not. So we've known that this was their story because of the note left in the cairn and then these various other, you know, finding the skeletal remains and some other things, right? But nobody had ever found the ships until 2014. Archaeologists found the remains of one of the ships, the HMS Erebus, near King Williams Island in Nunavut. Nunavut is Canada's northernmost territory. So they found that ship and they're like, okay, well, this is the general area we need to be searching. And so in 2016, they found the second ship, the HMS Terror. And I actually saw varying reports on this. One of the articles said that they were 30 miles away from each other. And another Mm -hmm. one said they were 90 miles away from each other. So I think it's a lot of difference. It's a lot of difference. I think there was some misreporting somewhere that that got like iterated through some articles. So and I wasn't able to find 
good true source that said exactly which one it is. Hmm. The point is, it doesn't really matter. They weren't together and they were far right. enough apart in both circumstances that you're like, why are these ships so far apart? Yeah, the Erebus was found in much shallower water. Yeah. So they figured they figured that one was a little more vulnerable and, and subject to destruction, mm-hmm. uh, even more so than it had been over the last 150 years. Yep. Uh, so they began excavations on that one first. And before the pandemic began, the excavations in the 2019 field season found 350 total artifacts that were cataloged. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And they included a extremely well-preserved silver wire officer's epaulets. Mm-hmm. They're really cool. There's pictures of them in one of the articles that we linked to. You can go see. But they're really neat to see because like, you can imagine them just like sitting on some poor lost soldiers <laughs> <laughs> shoulders. They also found a hairbrush and a blue and white dinner service and a lead stamp marked Ed Hoare. And that might be my favorite piece because Edmund Hoare was the captain steward that is well known and well documented. And he would have used that stamp to mark his belongings mm-hmm. basically. That's cool. Yeah. Now, of course they went on pause for two seasons because of the pandemic. Basically everybody did. And this year is the first year that they were really able to get back to it. And they had another really successful field season and brought up 275 more artifacts. Yeah, there were some artifacts similar to the ones that they found before, like platters and drafting tools. But they also found an embossed leather folio with paper and a leather quill pen tucked inside, which is just super cool to find. It's so neat. Yeah, and it could contain some writing on it once they analyze it. So even if the the ink is all washed away, when Mm -hmm. they were writing with those quills and stuff, it really left an impression on the paper. And they might be able to just pull that out with like a... I don't know if you'd use like a scanning electron microscope that might be too fine but they might be able to find it under other means so that would be pretty neat i i thought that was so cool too and one of the researchers was like it was like they found a book with a quill stuck in it like like a journal like somebody had literally just like folded their quill in it and set it aside and then like chaos ensued and (laughs) yeah and some of the big questions here of course are not just the artifacts and finding stuff out about the ships because we we kind of know a lot about the ships yeah right like that history is yeah yeah that history the people that's there but like what were the events leading up to the entire crew dying yeah and what was the timeline of the ships getting stuck the abandonment the separation of the ships through the ice Mm -hmm. you know what is the timeline of all that those are the questions that are remain unanswered yeah and that's where archaeology is really becoming important here because rather than just confirming everything that we thought we knew this sort of linear timeline of ships getting stuck, abandonment, and then, you know, they die one by one trying to get out. The location and contents of the Erebus, which is the one they've been excavating, makes it seem like they might have actually gone back to the ship and then sailed it a little bit further before abandoning it again. Like maybe they hit a warm patch in the summer or something and they were able to get the ship moving again before it probably got like socked in by ice again in the winter. Yeah, the Erebus was found much further south than the wreck of the Terror Mm -hmm. and had some belongings from crew members of the Terror. Now that alone doesn't tell me... It doesn't, it's not perfect. I mean, so lots of things could have happened. The Terror could have been crunched in the ice and they had to abandon it anyway, so some Mm -hmm. of the crew members moved into the Erebus. Or, you know what? Some people probably died and they took their shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex- absolutely. They, it could it could have been not even a, a malicious taking of stuff. Oh, it no. could have been like take preserve this stuff to give. Well, preserve it to bring back to their family. Oh, too, yeah. Like you personal know? items. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they had friends. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think the movement of personal items between the two ships is not as good of evidence of this. But the further the wreck being further south is I mean, they seem pretty not sure about it, but it's definitely a theory that's worth you know, pursuing. And they must not be down with the theory that 
the ice moved the ships that far apart. I don't think they are. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. ice does go does through do freeze-thaw cycles. It never fully thaws, but it can thaw enough mm-hmm. and then things can move. But I just don't know like, if oh, it can move that far. Yeah. And that yeah. relatively short period of time. Yeah, totally. So, okay. You might be wondering how in the world did they do this excavation? And that's, Ice camp. Yeah. <laughs> so there's actually two phases of, of excavation and exploration that happened here. The first is that dome that we were talking about in the beginning where they put the dome over the ice. And that is not a get in the water and excavate situation because it's just way too cold. So they had this device called a deep tracker that they could use to explore the site visually without actually getting into the water. Yeah, it's just like a little robot kind of thing with cameras on it and lights. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. And it, it could handle the Arctic temperatures and, and yeah. all that kind of thing. These things are cool because they've got like a, a cord that goes all the way back. It's an umbilical mm, yeah, for uh-huh. data and power. Yeah. And they just send it down and, and they can explore virtually. They did this with Titanic. Yeah, totally. It's one of the first ways they saw Titanic. Yep, very similar yeah. situation there. Yep. So after the ice had melted some, they went back in September and actually they they went with the Canadian Coast Guard with a ship called the Icebreaker to help like clever. Pu- yeah. <laughs> to help like <laughs> push the ice out of the way so that they could have a clear open patch of water to actually dive into. Mm-hmm. And then the underwater archaeologists came in at that point. They had these cool diving suits that were heated with warm water that would allow them to excavate and explore the wreck for That's insane. not a super long time. I think they could do an hour or two before mm-hmm. they would have to come out of the water. But it was enough that they could like do some true archaeology down there. And they also, the excavation itself is using a like dredge type of machine to sort of pump the sand and debris out of the way. And then they would also like use trowels. I saw like a Marshalltown trowel in one of the little mm-hmm. videos or images that they were using. And in they even mentioned like using spoons around some of the more like fragile things that they found. So it's basic. It's pretty typical archaeological excavation. You just have this machine like sucking stuff out of your way yeah. because uh, obviously it won't get out of the way because of the water. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Let's go from there and talk about, see, I think these guys were probably just killed by Vikings that have been hanging out there for a while, but we wouldn't know that unless we examine their ancient DNA and see what this, what the Viking age really was all about. Oh, well. It's probably wrong. We'll find out in segment two. Back in a minute. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, segment two, episode 202. I almost forgot how we do this. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you've never done this before. (laughs) I know. I think it's because I'm haunted by the next article and the image that shows up in the Wall Street Journal article right off the top. It's just like a face and teeth looking at me. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah. It's a good. (laughs) It's one of those images where you're like, was that a good idea? But I guess it's clickbait. (laughs) It's definitely just like a skull in the water, in the ground. but. Anyway, so the next article we're talking about is called Ancient DNA Paints a New Picture of the Viking Age. 
And I actually pulled this out of the Wall Street Journal, which I thought was kind of weird. But, you know, they write articles on all kinds of things these days. And it was a really well-written article. And they also linked back to the original open access paper in Cell, which I read parts of that, too. It's pretty dense as those yeah. types of papers usually tend to be. Well, it's an academic journal. Yeah, but there's some really cool figures in there. The lead author is Ricardo Rodriguez Varela, but literally there were like 20 different authors listed, <laughs> listed on the page. There are so many people that were involved in this study. So yeah. really cool to see that many people like collaborating together. So what this was about is that obviously we know Vikings, they were explorers, right? They were the first to reach four different continents, including Europe, Asia, Africa, and North America. They exchanged goods, technology, culture. And as you might expect, for people who are traveling around so much, they also exchanged genes. Yeah. The researchers looked at ancient DNA spanning 2,000 years of Scandinavian history from remains to piece together a comprehensive look at the movement of peoples into the region during the Viking Age. It's pretty much my ancestors. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like Finland was part of the like the whole the study. area. Yeah, for sure. Like Denmark is really where Vikings come from. Like Denmark is kind of well, like it's all of it. It's all of it, but yeah. Denmark is like Vikings, like solidly. But Vikings obviously inhabited well, a lot of the rest of it. They're considering Scandinavia in general as being right. the Viking area. Well, when you go back this far. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of have yeah. to. Yeah, so they're looking at Norway, Sweden, Finland, and probably some Denmark in some of those areas as well. Right. But the study that was published in Cell, they, they looked at nearly 300 ancient human genomes trying to establish the ancient genetic history basically yeah 48 of the ones that they looked at were new and then 249 were from previous studies which is why i think there are so many different authors listed on the yeah. papers because they were pulling in data from a lot of previously done studies as well right and the interesting part is that the study revealed how the prevalence of genes from three regions the british and irish isles which would have been like east of the, the region that they're talking about sure the Eastern Baltic, of course, which would have been on the other side, and then Southern Europe, which is kind of on the south end right. of the Scandinavian area. It really varied across time and space what the prevalence of these genes were mm -hmm. in the in the population. And that actually makes sense because if you subscribe to the, well, the out of Africa theory of human evolution mm -hmm. and, and, and population across the world, basically, from the first humans in Africa, well, spreading up into that corner, it wouldn't have been like a group of people. It would have been migrations at different times from different directions, you know, mm -hmm. coming across what's now Russia and then coming up through Europe and, and once, you know, seafaring technology coming in different ways. So it's not surprising that the genetic diversity is is pretty big. Yeah, for sure. But there was like some pretty surprising things that came out of this study. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, we know that the Vikings expanded out. But what we didn't realize is how much was coming into Scandinavia be from these these explorations that they were they were doing. Yeah. And some of that movement back to the Scandinavian region can be explained by the Vikings taking slaves. Yeah, obviously. And even more so than that, they're able to like drill down into that and see that it was primarily females and female DNA that they're finding that was moved into Scandinavia. So mm. it seems like they preferred to take women and girls as slaves. I mean, that it's, fits with every movie about Vikings I've it, seen. It does. So I guess some stereotypes are correct. 
Indeed. So the genomes of these 300 individuals, ancient individuals, they were compared with modern day Scandinavians because they got this good like snapshot of the genetic diversity from the ancient peoples. And they wanted to see how that compared with what Scandinavia looks to what Scandinavia looks like today. Yeah. And this is what I thought was super interesting. And you can go see a heat map in the cell article because it really visually shows you what has happened to the mm-hmm. genetic diversity in those areas. But there's a notable decline in the Baltic and British Irish ancestry among Scandinavians after the decline of the Viking age. Yeah. So where you had populations coming in genetics coming in from populations on the east and west side of this area Mm -hmm. it kind of just like filters away and yes you see north south movement but you don't see a whole lot coming in from the east and the west yeah that i mean that also does kind of make sense when populations start to get more secure Mm -hmm. and then they start you know maybe maybe either fewer people move in because they're like Let's just take them out. <laughs> or or the people that do move in are selected by this population yeah. on, on who they're going to let in. So Yeah. And well, and that kind of feeds into one of the theories is, is that the people who came in as slaves just didn't have the opportunity to start families. And therefore, they didn't have the opportunity to contribute their genes to the the overall population. And that might be why you don't see as much from those people who would have come in as yeah. slaves. Yeah, that makes sense. So there is one thing to keep in mind with this research. The researchers acknowledge that it could be skewed in one really important way. And that is that Vikings primarily cremated their dead. And that will effectively destroy the DNA. Like, it's gone. Yeah, even if you got bits of bone, it's basically useless. Yeah, like, you're you're not going to be able to pull DNA from a 2,000-year-old burnt bone. Like, that would be really unlikely. So the burials that they're getting this data from, they're uncommon. They're the type of burials that they don't get very often. Sure. There's sailors from the sunken ship, which is what that image is at the top of the article. Mm -hmm. There's a, a village that was excavated that was probably massacred in some kind of an, an attack and it was just like left that way. So, which is crazy in itself. Yeah. Or maybe they like put all the bodies together somewhere, but either way, they weren't dealt with in the normal like Viking procedure. Yeah. And there's been other ones that are just not normal. And so, what happens when your main pool of people is from a not normal section of population? <laughs> it might not represent the population as a whole. <laughs> so, right. there's, there's a chance that it's skewed from that perspective. All right. Well, that was kind of a short one, but the cool thing about this is there's there's a handful of articles that wrote about it. We've got a link to the original article that mm-hmm. was written in Cell. Is that like Cell Biology? Yeah, or is I think cell? so. I think okay. Cell C E L L. But yeah, I think it's a. But I thought there was a journal of Cell Biology, but maybe this is just Cell. Um, maybe it's different. I, anyway, either yeah, way, yeah, I don't remember. We'll link, we'll link to it. Check it. It's open access. It is. It's open access. Yeah, so you can read and the whole thing. It's publishing really good material on the yeah. website. I kind of poked around the website a little bit. It looks like it's pretty good. So cool. Yeah. There's nothing about ancient civilizations that no. seeded the whole entire planet or <laughs> no, anything? No, didn't oh, see anything okay. like that. No mention wonder, of aliens in any articles. I wonder articles. why there wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, you think so. there'd be genetic evidence of that. <laughs> oh All right. God. Not so much. Anyway, let's uh, take a break, and on the other side, we'll see what the feckin' Nazis got oh wrong this God. time. <laughs> You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 202. This is the third and final segment. And as I mentioned, we're going to talk about what the feckin' Nazis got wrong. <laughs> and this article is titled, How Nazis Whitewashed a Shaman's Prehistoric Remains. And it was written by Christine Lenin. We'll try to find some other sources. I don't have any right now as we're recording this, but we'll see if we can find something that, that is a little more definitive. Uh, however, most of this comes from a book that we'll talk about later. So mm-hmm. we'll talk about that. But anyway, the backstory is, what was called the Shaman of Bad Durenberg, and it's just B-A-D, uh, Bad Durenberg, I don't mm-hmm. know what that translates to, was discovered in eastern Germany in 1934. At that time, the Nazis were like actively doing archaeology. Like, mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of truth to Indiana Jones. Right. They really were <laughs> digging up relics. And the, the, what they were trying to prove with all this digging was that their Aryan ancestors have always lived in Germany. Mm-hmm. They had this whole thing with like the, the thousand year Reich and they just, they needed proof of it. And yeah. they were taking anything they possibly could. They were trying to prove that what they were doing was okay and the way things should be. (laughs) Therefore, let's murder all the people that don't physically look like us or in some other way don't fit into the ideal that we're creating for our society. Right, because I kind of forgot that even if, you know, white-skinned, blonde-haired, blue-eyed people had lived in Germany for the last thousand years, if that were actually true, that doesn't mean other people can't live there. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. That's still not like proof and justification. But anyway, uh, they took those remains and attributed them to what they called the original Aryan. And they called him a rich man because of some of the grave goods that they were found Mm -hmm. with. They thought they had discovered uh, the 9,000 year old remains of their powerful Aryan ancestors, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, but modern science has something to, something to say about that. Good. And, yeah. And now this collection has been analyzed several times throughout mm-hmm. the years. Yeah. And there were some things left out. We'll talk about that. But it turns out, I'm just going to get straight to the punchline, that the remains belonged to a dark-skinned, what we think is a powerful woman buried with a child, which is just like the opposite. Cool. So not yeah. the Aryan ancestor <laughs> at all. Because you know why? There isn't an Aryan ancestor. Yeah. Well... <laughs> I mean, they're kind of are. I mean, they're I guess, probably Vikings. Yeah, right. I mean, there is because there's an ancestor to everybody, but it right. wasn't this one. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, nobody ever points out that like Hitler had black hair. You know, I mean, know. let's talk about that. Well, for a minute. and I think he had dark eyes too. He just yeah. was. He just created an image, and it didn't matter that it's he didn't fit crazy. into it. Yeah. 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 Anyway, what they think was uh, she was a female shaman from about the Mesolithic era, which Mm -hmm. the whole Mesolithic era dates from about 9,500 to 4,500 BCE. Archaeologists Harold Muller and Kai McKell wrote a book called The Riddle of the Shaman, Journey into Our Past, which was published in October of 2022. Oh, okay. So this is recent recent stuff that's come out now. Cool. They used genetic analysis, magnetic resonance imaging, or MRIs, Mm -hmm. and dental examinations, really, really detailed dental examinations, Mm -hmm. state-of-the-art, they called it, uh, Mm -hmm. to find out more about this woman. Now, a little bit about shamans. We'll back up here for a second. They are people that... 
in the words of people who still practice shamanistic behavior mm-hmm. or shamanistic religions, I guess, they are people that cross the border into the spirit realm. And they okay. do this by going into a trance sort of thing. Like mm-hmm. they go into like these trance modes. You, you've seen it in movies before. Yeah, like the peyote trance and that yeah, kind of thing, stuff like right? That. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so sometimes they're chemical induced. Yeah. Uh-huh. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're just people that are so psychologically believing they're shamans, mm-hmm. they just like work themselves up into right. this whole frenzy, right? right? And so shamanism by some is considered the first human religion. Mm-hmm. This uh, this ancestor deity, or, or not the ancestor deity, but this like somebody who can communicate with the ancestors who inhabits or has inhabited them, mm-hmm. uh, animal spirits, uh, mm-hmm. things like that. So, I mean, it kind of fits with what we know about early ritual practices for many different ancient cultures around the right. world that, that that would be sort of the first way that they were exploring a something larger than just themselves on this planet. Yeah. Well, the woman here, and I mentioned before that the Nazis thought that it was a rich man that was buried because of some of the grave goods. Mm-hmm. Well, the grave goods that were buried with this woman, this uh, shaman that mm-hmm. we think, and we think she was a shaman because of this, was because of some of the extraordinary burial items. Mm-hmm. And these included deer antlers on her head, and it was a little bit ambiguous. There there might have been uh, an entire deer skull uh, oh, connected cool. with the antlers, but I think a lot of it may have been disintegrated yeah, or something. but maybe it was like together when, it, yeah. when she was first buried. Like she oh, was that's legit really like cool. wearing a deer skull yeah, on her head. That's yeah, that's really cool. I'm going to talk about this in a second, but so a deer skull on her head with antlers, shells of three turtles that may have served as rattles, so they would put something inside of them mm-hmm. and shake it around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that would have been used in shamanistic rituals mm-hmm. and numerous pierced animal teeth that may have been worn as pendants. Okay. Now, like you saw somebody walking down the street like that today, you'd probably cross over to the other side. <laughs> right. <just> like, <laughs> Be a little concerned about the the animal bone or animal teeth jewelry. Right. Yeah. But that goes to how we treat people like that today. Well, we'll talk about that here in a second because the, some of the analysis they showed was that they looked at her cervical vertebrae, among other things. They looked mm-hmm. at everything they had. But the cervical vertebrae in particular revealed that she had restricted blood supply to her brainstem. So this mm-hmm. wasn't some sort of like disease she picked up. It was yeah. like genetic. Her, yeah. her, her vertebrae was just like that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because when you're analyzing bones, human bones, there's very few things that you can really say about them. Yeah. But one of those things is like, it was the size of this not quite right or is it yeah. too big or too small or in the wrong place or whatever. So it sounds like this is one of those things that we can actually see in the bones if we, yeah. you know, when we're looking for it, which is really cool. If somebody had that today, we actually have a name for the thing that can develop from that. Okay. I don't know if it's this always develops from that or if it's just one just of the things that can. Yeah. yeah, But it's called downbeat nystagmus or nystagmus. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It's N-Y-S-T-A-G-M-U-S. Okay. So I think nystagmus. But nystagmus, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's where the eyes kind of drift upward. And I don't know if they just do this when the, the brain gets a low oxygen state or something like that or whatever, mm-hmm. like from that restricted blood flow. But the eyes kind of drift upward and then beat or jump downward. So they'll like, like come down. Like, like quickly? Like yeah, beats, from the sounds of it. Like like wings. Like boo Well, <laughs> when I heard beat, I meant more like a drum. So like boom, 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 boom. What, what was yours again? No, I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> or boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, okay. So anyway... Anyway, this would have just been happening to her. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know at what point mm-hmm. in her life this would have happened because as a young child, I mean, your 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 bones and things grow uniformly, but maybe there was something that caused her vertebrae to stop growing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but obviously everything else kept going and then maybe yeah. that caused the restricted blood flow. But and, and that would have been the only thing like physically wrong with her. 
Well, was yeah, just just this, uh, this eye thing. They said that actually people that have it today, it poses no danger to their physical health. Okay. Aside from the fact that if it happens while you're driving, you're probably not going to live too long. Yeah, yeah. Unless you get it under control. So, yeah. Yeah. True. So if it can be fi- if it can be fixed today with like drugs or something, mm-hmm. then that's cool. But uh, or surgery. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. That's more for a doctor to say. I didn't yeah. even want to speculate on that kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Totally. But either way, back then they said it would have really posed no danger to her physical health. Um, but it would have made her look like she was in a trance or possessed by animal spirits because that's how mm-hmm. it would have been interpreted by the people around her. It's so interesting that rather than, you know, ostracizing her for yeah. this weird deformity, maybe she rose to power as a shaman because this physical property that was right. just hers naturally caused her to maybe be connecting to animal spirits. Yeah. <laughs> or and so they thought. Right. And they're conjecturing with all this and the fact that she was. You know, she was born, she was buried with this child, and we'll talk about the child here in a second, mm-hmm. but she was buried with this child with all these grave goods and these crazy things. I mean, it's crazy to think that maybe in 10,000 years when the human race is completely different, and who knows what we're doing, if this burial had been found then, you know, would we have just thought it was some old crazy person? Because mm-hmm. that's what we would think today. If you, if you, uncovered a burial from 50 years ago because you're moving a cemetery and somebody had deer antlers on their head and pierced animal (laughs) teeth and stuff, you'd think this was an actual crazy person (laughs) and they were buried like that. Right. But because of what we know of ancient religions and communities and tribes and other things we found, they're thinking that this was made her an important person. Mm -hmm. It helped her to rise to importance within the community. Right. Now let's talk about the boy. The young boy buried with her was not her child. Oh, okay. But so according no to, DNA match, huh? Well, no, but according to the analysis of his DNA, they were related, but not closely. Oh. Which also does make sense. Everybody mm-hmm. in probably one little area is probably going to be related to mm-hmm. a certain degree. Okay. Even if, if you're not having sex with your first cousin, you probably are your like third and fourth cousins. Yeah, I would be curious <laughs> how closely related they are. Like, yeah. That, that this article didn't really get into well, and it. And it's probably hard to tell, too. You you know there's a relation, eh, but not like how close. Maybe not. I don't know. They can do pretty good with that with that uh, genetic clock stuff and sometimes trying yeah. to figure out how many generations back they would have been, you know, directly related. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's just one more piece of evidence that shows in prehistory, as we've talked about on this show a number of times, mm-hmm. that women were not necessarily inferior to men. Right. You know, not like uniformly as mm-hmm. a sex or a gender. Right. Yep. They just... There were different roles to play by men and women, mm-hmm. and it wasn't black and white. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this burial is definitely one example of that. It sounds like it's very important, and yeah. all of the artifacts found with her show that her status was higher than, you know, yeah. maybe people would have thought in the past when they still had the this, like, cave men and women yeah. idea where it was like the men ruled the women. That's just... Yeah. I mean, society's not like that today. Not really. And... It it wasn't like that back then either, you know. I almost feel like it's more like that today. I it, it was like two hundred years ago, three hundred, four hundred years ago, even yeah, it was because yeah. it really like went to that sort of a male dominated yeah. place. But it's it's changing now, yeah. obviously. This also shows, as I mentioned earlier, that people who had who people who were different physically or even psychologically were not necessarily cast out of the group as mm-hmm. being different or weird or, mm-hmm. or, or hindrance or something like that. Yeah. Um, they could in fact rise to importance. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm sure if somebody was mentally ill, that probably didn't serve them too well. That you would know. be a harder one to overcome, but if you're completely normal, except for a specific type of physical 
difference, then yeah, you can definitely overcome it, especially if you're in the type of society where they were clearly willing to see something that was different about a person and yeah. find it to be a connection to this spirit world rather right. than something to, you know, shun them for. So that's that's really cool. So in the end, the Nazis did not <laughs> have the proof they were looking for that their ancestral Aryans had always lived in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, although they thought they did at the time. So they, oh, come on. Did yeah. they really, though? They probably, well, they, I mean, they. <laughs> OK, so the, the people who probably at the top didn't think that. Yeah. They knew they always knew what was up. Yeah. But they convinced a lot of people that that was yeah, true, true. Right. And true. they used it to bolster their yeah. philosophy, their their fascist regime, the whole thing. Right. So so whether or not it was true didn't actually matter at the time. It mm-hmm. helped them rise to power. Mm-hmm. So which is a shame. Yep, that's a very yeah. good point. You know, you turn you take a lie and make it if people believe it, then it kind of yeah. becomes true to yeah. that population. Right. So that is yeah yeah that's unfortunate but at least this awesome shaman lady gets to regain her identity you know in death and nearly 100 years later by people who are more interested in the truth rather than supporting their own personal you know yeah agenda (laughs) yeah i had mentioned that there were later studies just really quickly the fact that the remains could have belonged to a woman was actually a woman was actually glossed over a little bit but kind of mentioned in 19 around 1957 Mm. it wasn't even talked about until then yeah but in 1957 somebody was like hey this might be a woman this this doesn't look quite like a a masculine skeleton right (laughs) and the and the people who were i don't know probably still nazi synthesizers were like no let's just not talk about that you do know it's pronounced nazi right i'm just checking to make sure i do the correct pronunciation (laughs) of inglorious bastards pronunciation (laughs) yes (laughs) there's only one correct pronunciation that's pretty much it i mean i was just checking i wanted to make sure you knew Nazis. <laughs> Nazis. All right. yeah. The boy, however, was never mentioned in the in any of the studies. In the previous studies, yeah. and I want to know. I don't know when. I don't know when the boy was actually mentioned because did these guys see? I need to read the book because yeah. did these did they authors not know or well, did they go back through and finally publish something about the boy or was the boy's remains just like left there and not written about? Yeah. this whole time it's entirely possible because there are lots of collections that people don't have time to go back to, mm-hmm. and if nobody went back to it for the last sixty years, well, then nobody went back to it for the last sixty years. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just it. Mm-hmm. The find was quoted as being the dream find of the Nazis because it was old and they thought it was a a rich man and just assumed it was, you know, fit their profile. Mm -hmm. But it turned out, in the author's words, to be the nightmare of all Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is that is a a note to end this podcast on right there. (laughs) And I think we'll do it. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster and Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.